All right, well, tonight we're in um, 2 Chronicles. We're going to be reading verses or chapters 14 through 16. So quite a bit of reading to start off with, just to give you the whole perspective of it. But we'll be looking at Asa, King Asa. The danger of forsaking the, the Lord is kind of the subtitle, you might say, of this study tonight. <clears throat> a lot of times we're prone to look for easy answers to life's difficult problems. Uh, most of us have that tendency, and uh, we kind of want something that will deliver us once and for all from the sin and temptation and all that, but it won't. Uh, you're not going to find it on this side of glory anyway. Uh, as a matter of fact, one man, he said, he said this, he, untended fires soon die and become just a pile of ashes. Untended fires, untended fires soon die and just become a, a pile of ashes. And sometimes we're looking for a quick fix to our spiritual growth and all that, and it just it doesn't happen. It takes a constant maintaining, <laughs> right, of our spiritual lives daily, and um, and it requires constant attention. We can't just assume that we're going to grow uh, because we come to church once a week or something like that. We have to do more than that. And we've all experienced those times in our Christian lives, I think, where we, you know, we hear a, a message or we hear someone uh, speak at a seminar or a conference, and we, boy, we get all lit up and we're just on fire for the Lord. And then a week later, like, where did it go? You know, we've all gone through that. I mean, it happens to everybody. And we need to kind of dis- discard the myth, I would say, that there's some kind of a um, spiritual experience that we can have in our lives that will carry us the rest of the way. It doesn't matter what it is. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. It's, it takes minute by minute um, kind of tending that, that spiritual growth inside your own heart. And the minute we stop feeding the fire <laughs> in our souls, uh, unfortunately, our desire for God, our desire for uh, growth and all those things begin to die out, and we face the danger, you could say, of forsaking the Lord. Not that you lose your salvation or anything like that, but there's many people that have at one time walked strongly with the Lord, and now they're not. This is the story, really, of King Asa, who was the king uh, in Judah, and his story for us makes kind of this, this point, is that he started well as one of their kings. His um, spiritual reforms that we're going to read about brought revival to the southern kingdom of Judah. And God's blessing was manifested out throughout the kingdom there. But later, as all the success happened, he began, kind of forsook the Lord. And he incurred the Lord's discipline, as we're going to read about. And we can see where the fire died out for Asa. Um, so let's, I'm just going to read, and you can just follow along in your Bibles. I encourage you to follow along as you as I read it, but in uh, chapter 14, Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David and Asa, his son, reigned in his place. And in his days, the land had rest for 10 years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim, which were the idols of the day. And commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. 
Verse 5, he also took out all of the cities of Judah, uh, took out of all the cities of Judah the high places where they used to worship idols, and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no wars in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and bars and gates, and the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. Verse 8, and Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah armed with large shields and spears and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merashah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephthah, at uh, Merishah, and Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come out against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Verse 12, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as uh, Gerar. And the Ethiopians fell until not one remained alive. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. And the men of Judah carried away very much spoil. And they attacked all the cities around Gerah. For the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities. For there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 15. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Odeb, and he, he, he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you key verse there. For a long time Israel was without a true God, without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without the law. But, when they're dist- but in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. He was found by them, and in those days there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation. And city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take take care, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Verse eight. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah the son of uh, Odeb, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. That was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those in Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. um, For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel, that's up north, um, when they saw that the Lord his God 
was with them. So remember, up north, they were worshiping idols and all kinds of things, and some people got fed up with it, so they came down uh, to the southern kingdom. Verse 10, they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath before the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all of their heart and had sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Even uh, Ma'akah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had a detestable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image, crushed it, burned it in the brook, brook Kidron. Verse 17, but the high priests, or the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and golden vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So he did a lot of good while he was king. Unfortunately, it doesn't last. Look at verse, chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took uh, silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between you and uh, between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his army against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Jeon, uh, uh, Dan, Abel-Mam, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And then verse 5, And when uh, Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Baasha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mitzvah. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to king, uh, Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans um, a, a huge army with many chariots and horsemen? Yet you, because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward, toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in the prison, <laughs> for he was a, in a rage with him because of this. 
and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from the first to the last are written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but some help from, uh, but sought help from physicians. And Asa, verse 13, slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David, and they laid him on a bier and that he had been filled, that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared <coughs> by the perfumer's art. And they made a very great uh, fire in his honor. So you, you see this picture, I mean, there's three chapters. I know there's a lot of reading, but you have to kind of lay the groundwork here because <clears throat> you see somebody who starts off very strong. He, he wanted to do the right thing. And, um, you know, it's kind of, it's summed up really in, 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 in verse uh, 2 of chapter 15 where the prophet says, if you seek God, if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And that theme is kind of over and over and over again. Uh, in Second Chronicles, if you look at uh, the, the uh, 14, 7, uh, he said to Judah, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord before, uh, the, sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. Uh, in verse 7, but you take courage. Of chapter 15, he says, do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. In, in chapter 15, verse 15, And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him, sought God, with all their whole desire, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And then even in, in chapter 16, verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro from the whole earth to give strong support to what? To those whose heart is blameless toward him. I mean, you can paraphrase all that. I put it there <coughs> on your outline. If we seek the Lord... He will strongly support us, but if we forsake him, what? We will come under his discipline. That's just the way it is. That's a biblical principle you could apply. And so the first two chapters that we read, 14 and 15, really demonstrate the first half of that, that sentence there. If we seek the Lord, he will strongly support us. But then when you get to chapter 15, that, but if we forsake him, we will come under discipline. And so we're going to walk through these together. And so look at the, the first the first thing here, if we seek the Lord, he will strongly support us. You know, when we stop and we think of seeking the Lord, it's, it's a major theme throughout all of First and Second Chronicles, really, even all of Scripture. You can see it over and over and over again. And, and in the Hebrew, it literally means to trample underfoot. That's what that, that, that phrase means when you say seek the Lord. It means to trample underfoot. And you say, wow, how's it, what does that mean? Well, it's a picture that is um, of, a, of a path that's been worn down. Like if you've ever been out hiking and stuff, and you can see where people are on the main trail, and then sometimes you'll see a trail that goes off, and it's pretty worn, right? So you think, well, maybe I'll go over there. There must be something nice to see. It's, you can tell because it's a beaten path, right? It's, it's beaten down by people frequently going there. And that's, that's the idea. It's to seek the Lord is not just a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's a continuous action to where you beat down a path to where you know where you're going. And it has the, the nuance of, of seeking with care, and with in, in, inquiring after knowledge, insight, um, advice on a problem. So 
to seek the Lord doesn't mean just a one-time deal. It means whenever you're faced with something in life that you can't figure out or it's an issue or whatever, you immediately go down that path. You immediately go to the Lord. You pray about it. You ask the Lord to help you with it. Okay, so the idea is careful, carefully to pursue the Lord as the source of all wisdom and all holiness. So if we lack wisdom in our lives, where do we go? Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't go to the Lord. They go to the, you know, well, Amazon now, but it used to be the Christian bookstore, right? And look, oh, okay, I have a friend that's an alcoholic. Let me see what I can do for them or, or whatever and find a book on it. Um, but the Lord, through his providence, has provided through his word and through his son everything sufficient for us if we just take the time to pursue that. And so we're going to see here five things that stand out in verses in chapters 14 to 15. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Um, the first one is seeking the Lord means obedience to God's word. Um, that's what he says there. Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandments in verse 4. Um, there's no such thing of revival just coming out of nowhere just randomly, all of a sudden, you know, oh, wow, we just have revival in America. It just popped out of nowhere. No, it, it, it always uh, comes as a result of, of people returning to God's word, to returning to God's truth um, as a basis for life and conduct. It doesn't just float out of the air. Um, and so, in fact, it's safe to say that your spiritual health today is in direct proportion to how, you, how well you understand and how well you obey the Word of God. That's why we find it important to study the Word of God, so that we know what, is, you know what it says, so that we're not living our Christian lives in ignorance. And I think that's probably one of the biggest problems, I would say, with a lot of um, believers today in the church, is they have no reference point upon which to live their Christian life because they've, they've never done the homework to figure out you know, who they are in Christ. So um, a lot of believers have never even read the book of Ephesians, let alone done a study on it. But if you read through the book of Ephesians, six chapters, the first three chapters, pure, pure theology. Paul's just telling you, who, here, here's who you are in Christ. And then all of a sudden in chapter four, he says, now based on all that information I just gave you and your knowledge of who you are in Christ, do this. And the next three chapters are basically applying what you know. And it's, it's important for us to realize that we can't apply something if we don't understand it or we don't know it. And it's not just going to seep into your brain because you put your Bible under your pillow at night. It takes diligence. It takes study, things like that. But notice it's, it's important to say, you know, it's, it's, it's not just how well you understand the word, okay, but how well you understand it and what? Obey it. <laughs> I think we've all met people who have a lot of knowledge, right? Head knowledge. They can quote verses till the cows come home. Um, but you look at their life and their life's a wreck. What are they doing? They, well, they have all the knowledge of God's word, but they don't, they're not obeying it. Okay? And so we, we want to do both. And, and that's a very important thing. It's, it's like James says, you know, in James 1.22, you know, I mean, if, if you know what the word says and you're not doing it, it's kind of like a man who looks in a mirror, Right? You wake up in the morning, your hair's all messed up, if you have hair, or whatever, and, it, you know, you're just a wreck, and you just walk out of the house without fixing yourself. You wouldn't do that. You, you would spend the time to repair the damage that the night hours have done to your face and whatever. And so, you know, that, that would be the logical thing, or why even look in the mirror at all? And so there's a lot of people who 
know the Bible. They teach the Bible. They have degrees in Bible. But some of them aren't even saved because they're not willing to submit to the Bible. And, you know, a lot of times those, those people have a tendency to be very legalistic in their, in their um, they're very arrogant in their knowledge, but they're not what you would say growing in godliness. They're just kind of stagnant. Um, so it's important. And, and you can run into people all day long who call themselves Christians who have major issues in their life but they're unwilling to ask the question, well, what does God's word say about this? Gee, I, I deal with anxiety. What does God's word say about this? Or I deal with an addictive behavior or something. What does God's word say about this? Or I deal with financial issues or marriage issues or relationship issues. Or, you know, ad infinitum. The, the word of God speaks to those things. And so if you want God's blessing in your life, what, what we're learning here is that you have to be willing to beat a path trample down a path to God and his word. That's the idea. That's what seeking God is uh, with the aim of applying it and understanding it in your daily life. Um, and if you, if you lost it, where to begin, a lot of people say, you know what, S- start with the book of Proverbs. You know, uh, take the book of Proverbs and say, you know what, I'm going to read one proverb every day. And, and within a month, you finish the whole book. And, you know, put down a little three-by-five card and say, you know what, at a... At a Every day when I read a chapter in Proverbs, I'm going to write down at least one verse that kind of stood out to me in that chapter. I mean, that whole process might take you 10 minutes if you're a slow reader. It's not going to take you a long time. And so what happens is then you become familiar with the principles that God gives us, and then you start, okay, Lord, how can I apply this to my life? How does this affect me? And it's very important to know how to do that. Um, You know, and if you run into verses you don't understand, don't get hung up on it. You know, ask the Lord to help you understand it. Uh, he, can, he can do that. So obedience to God's word is number one. Secondly, seeking the Lord means separation from known evil. And, you know, he, he says that in verse 5 of chapter 14. Um, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. Okay? And so uh, it says there that Asa removed the high places. But then in verse 17 of chapter uh, of 15, it says that, you know, he pretty much did a lot of good, but it says in verse 17, but the high places were not taken out of Israel. So they still had these places where they worshipped their idols, even though they may not have had the idols to worship there. And what it's telling us is really that God expects us to be um, separate from these things. Um, Asa tried to remove all the the high places, but he wasn't totally successful. And whenever that's the case, uh, I mean, his heart was right. I think he was trying to do the, the right thing. And, and that's how things kind of creep into our Christian lives and even into the church, right? I mean, the, you know, the devil doesn't show up at your doorstep with a pitchfork and, you know, saying, hey, you know, follow me. That's, you know, you're, you're probably going to go, no, I don't think so. You know, it's, it's slight. It's, it's kind of slight of hand. They, they sneak in in, in different ways. And here, you think about it, I mean, basically there was a group of people in Judah that started looking around and they saw all these Canaanites setting up shrines and all this Baal worship and everything and they did it in the high places. And you know what, it wasn't, it, they wouldn't do that as Jews. They wouldn't have idols and all that stuff. So it kind of started off slow. Hey, why don't we put our gods, God up on this high place and we'll, we'll worship him like they do. 
You know, that's, that makes sense. I mean, to have them lifted up, they probably started off thinking, well, that's good. But what were they emulating? They were emulating a pagan nation. You know, they were doing something. It's kind of like today, the modern day church. I mean, a lot of times they're trying to emulate the world. They're looking for every kind of technology and every kind of social thing and everything to, to, to build the church. And God's saying, I don't build the church that way. You know, it's not that you throw it all out. I mean, there's some good things we can learn from corporations and organization and all that stuff. But, you know, the church isn't a corporation. So you can't just take that template from the secular world and apply it to God's church. Because if you do, you may end up with a fine-tuned organization, but it's not going to be a church. Okay? And so you have to kind of understand that. And so they thought, hey, this is a good idea. Let's, let's bring that into our worship of Yahweh. We'll, we'll, we'll put him up there too. And so it subtly polluted, their worship was subtly polluted by really worldly religion. And, and that's really what, what happens. And Esau sought the Lord by trying to get rid of these elements of the pagan worship. He tried to do that over and over again. He even had to depose his grandmother, Makkah, right? who had been his favorite wife of, of Rehoboam from her previous, from her powerful position there as queen mother. He took her down because she was doing something that wasn't honoring the Lord. I mean, talking about ruffling some feathers, that's, that's a pretty big step for Esau to do. She made some sensuous idol or whatever and presided over some kind of immoral religious rite, and, and Asa said, no, uh, this isn't right. Um, he didn't you know, sneak in there like Gideon did and tear down the thing at night so nobody knew. He did it right in front of everybody. So he was willing to take that stand. And uh, he let everybody know where he stood. That took a lot of courage on his part. I think he was really trying to do the right thing. Um, Asa had to be more committed to the word of God than he ever was to risk offending his own family. You know, when it comes to family, a lot of times we're, we have a tendency to compromise because we don't want to be you know, offensive to them, their family, you know, so we kind of cut them some slack. And, and sometimes, you know, that can cause issues. That can allow things to creep in. Um, you know, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but you do have to say, wow, you know what? Um, we are called to live a little a different as believers, and our testimony should be such. Um, I mean, you can talk about living a separated life all you want, and people don't get upset. But the minute you do it... <laughs> you start cutting down their idols, what happens? It gets a little close to home, right? When you start actually calling people out on things, people will get very upset. And so you have to find that, that balance. You have to do it with love and with grace. But no matter how gracious and gentle you are, when you cut down someone's sh sacred shrine or idol, um, you're not going to be popular. You're just not. And so, obedience to the word, separation from known evil. And then thirdly, seeking the Lord means this, fortifying our lives against spiritual danger. Look at what it says there in verses 6 to 8 of chapter 14. He says, he built fortified cities in Judah, for the, and for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities, surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and they prospered. Okay. It was undisturbed during this time of Asa's reign. Asa just didn't kick back and say, okay, there's nothing going on. Let's just relax. 
he didn't do that. Rather, he said, you know what? We're going to use this time of peace when we're not having to fight our armies. We're going to use this time to fortify the land and to build our own army uh, rather than wait for wars to come and then have to catch up. Because he knew, probably in his heart, inevitably, war would come. Uh, Proverbs 24.10 says this, If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. Right? If you are slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. In other words, a time of distress is really the true measure of your strength, not your time of rest. Um, so you better get your act together during your t- calm, <laughs> the calm years in your life, uh, rather than wait till all the trials come and then try to throw everything together real quick. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians kick back when the pressure is off. I mean, we all do that, right? I mean, when do you pray the most? When you have a crisis? When you have a health report? Or you have this or you have that? Or financial things or whatever. Issues at work. All of a sudden, man, you're on your knees every night trying to get the Lord to change this thing. Right? But when everything's, when you're just coasting. Right? And and it speaks to also the condition of our society as well. It's a real opportunity, I think for the church to really shine during this time, even as hard as it is and as dark as it is. And I mean, you can't believe the things that you're hearing, you know, um, when the pressure is on, like it is now in our society, people begin to stop and they begin to question, wow, what is going on? And it's a wonderful opportunity for the church to step up and to have some answers for the people that are dealing with anxiety. And I just read tonight, I shared it with my wife, I guess in California, they say, oh, COVID anxiety's back. You know, the numbers are up, and so now they're going to return to the mandates indoors and all this for the mass. It's like, really? What, what in the world? I mean, it's, it's crazy. So we, we have to be aware of that. We have to fortify our lives against spiritual danger, but we've got to do that in the times of, of peacefulness and stuff. So when the time, when the wheels are falling off the cart, as Christians, we're not freaking out like everybody else is freaking out. We have some answers for people. Fourthly, seeking the Lord means trusting in the Lord, not methods. Not methods. Uh, Esau, what did he do? He fortified the land. He built a strong army in verses 6 to 8. And when the enemy struck, what did he do? He didn't rely on his army. I mean, it's a silly decision he made. But on who? On God, right? I mean, you would look at that and say, well, why wouldn't you rely on your army? You fortified your whole army. No, his, his heart was still stayed on, you know what, even though we have this vast army, we need to let God do his work here. See, and that's where we have to be reminded of that. He could have very easily looked at everything, all the soldiers he had and all the numbers of people and said, oh, we got this, no problem. No, but he made it sound like a desperate situation. Like, man, Lord, if you don't step up here, we're going to be wiped out. And, and we have to kind of emulate that same kind of attitude. Asa knew as every, everyone who grows strong in the Lord knows that a powerful army is useless, right? If the Lord is not their strength. And, and that's one thing that, you know, people have learned over and over and over again. The stronger you grow in the Lord, really, the more painfully aware you become of your own weakness. See, if you grow in your, your relationship with the Lord and, and you, you're kind of walking around thinking, yeah, you're, I'm some spiritual giant and I'm never going to sin again and I'm never going to do this. You better be careful because that's exactly what is going to happen. It's going to 
it's going to cause you a lot of pain in the long run. So you just have to realize with the stronger you grow in the Lord, the more painfully you become aware of your own weaknesses, which drives you to what? Trust God even more, not less. And yet a lot of times we do just the opposite. And, you know, when you talk about methods, I mean, there are good methods and management principles that we should apply in life, but you have to be aware, don't put your trust in them. Don't put your trust in them. I mean, in the American church today, I mean, they've gone crazy with methods, even today. I mean, every week I get email after email after email, how to, how to keep and retain visitors, how to do this, how to do that. And I'm sure there's some good stuff in there, right? But I mean, it's like they, they make it out like if you just buy this book, all their, your answers will be right there. And you don't have to look anywhere else. And um, it, it's very important that you have your trust in the Lord. I, I always appreciate what MacArthur said in a sermon one time. He was, I guess it was in an interview. They were asking, well, what, what do you do in your church to cause it to grow like it's growing? And he goes, we just teach, teach the Bible and you know, do what the New Testament tells us to do. And, and they were kind of pressing him on it. Well, you must have a method or something. And he says, look, the, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And I, frankly, he said, I wouldn't want to compete with Jesus. So you know what? I just do what he tells me to do. And, and, you know, if it's 500 people, it's 500 people. If it's five people, it's five people. That's, that's kind of what, where, where he was at. And I thought I always appreciated that because it's, it's possible to have a good method and see growth. But if that method is not biblical, it, it fails to encourage people to trust the Lord more. If you're just trusting in that method, then what happens? Then, then you start trusting in that method more than you trust in God. And that's offensive to God. So you have to just be aware of that. Um, so we need to learn from Asa. Build your army, but don't trust it. Acknowledge your own weaknesses and trust in the Lord. And then, fifthly here, not just obedience to the word, separation from known evil, fortifying our lives against spiritual danger, trusting in the Lord, not methods, but committing ourselves to worship the Lord. Uh, this is what he says in, in verse 8 of uh, chapter 15. What they do? They restored the altar. They began to offer the appointed sacrifices. Uh, they entered into the covenant to seek the Lord in verse 12 there of chapter 15. He brought all these dedicated silver and gold items into the house of the Lord. All of this was both, if you think about it, time-consuming, and some of the things they brought, it was expensive. They sacrificed in their uh, worship of the Lord. Uh, it took time to slaughter all those animals and offer them in accordance with the Mosaic law. That took a lot of effort. It was costly to take these perfectly good animals and sacrifice them. That's not something you would normally do. Uh, it was expensive to give all the gold and the silver utensils. Um, they were much more costly than copper and bronze, but they, they did it. They, they gave it up. And so true worship always costs, number one, our time and our resources. It always does. You know, we want this convenient Christianity where we, we can worship our God and it doesn't cost us anything. You know, that's, that's just not reality. That's not reality. And as long as it doesn't impede on our lifestyle, well, then, yeah, we'll help out or whatever. But, you know, the minute you start asking me to do something a little more than that, well, I can't do that. Second uh, Samuel twenty four twenty four. David said this, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. 
So seeking the Lord means obeying His Word, separating ourselves from evil, fortifying our lives against spiritual danger, trusting in the Lord, not methods, and committing ourselves to worship the Lord. And if we seek the Lord, the second half of that promise is He will what? He will strongly support us. He will strongly support us. And there's four themes here that kind of reoccur. There's rest, the routing of the enemy, the rewarding of finding the Lord, and rejoicing. Just like, remember, when we went through the judges, you had this cycle over and over again, right? It's the same thing here. It's the same thing in our own lives, even. And so the first thing here I have is God's strong support means rest. When we seek the Lord, when we, when we beat a path to His door, and not just our own trying to figure it out, but we beat a path to His door and really seek His support, God gives us His peace. I mean, it kind of makes sense. When you've done everything that God has told you to do, and there's nothing consciously that you're, there's no known sin in your life, and you're, in your mind you're thinking, you know what, okay, um, I know God to- told me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. There's none of that. You're doing everything that you know that God wants you to do. I don't know about you, but I sleep well at night when I know that. I mean, all hell could be coming against me, but you know what, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, in the moment that God wants me to do it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people say. It's irrelevant. It doesn't mean you're going to have a trouble-free life. But it does mean you'll have rest. You'll enjoy his peace, is what that means. Um, the prophet who confronted Asa enjoyed God's strong support. But what happened to him? Verse 10 of chapter 16, he got thrown in prison. I mean, he could have very easily, kind of in his mind, said, yeah, I'm not going to go tell this to the king. I know what's going to happen. He's going to be ticked off. He's going to throw me in prison. I didn't even do anything wrong. God, I'm being obedient to you, right? But in Christ, what do we have? We have that inner peace in the midst of storms. And a lot of times, you know, when I've felt really a wave of attack against ministry or my own life or whatever in my life, I've really been able to, most of the time, enjoy God's peace, inner peace, knowing, you know what, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm doing what God wants me to do because I was pleasing to him. Then it doesn't matter what other people think. We've got to stop living our lives for other people and start living them for the Lord. Secondly, God's support means routing of the enemy. Enjoy his rest, but then routing of the enemy. Asa faced and defeated this incredibly, I mean, a million people, that, that crazy, a large army. Why? Because he sought the Lord, right? And as believers, we're going to experience consistent victory over temptation, over sin, if we just learn to seek the Lord. And stop trying to deal this in our own way. Trying to, you know, work it out in our own way. Trust the Lord in these times. And then thirdly, God's support means the reward of finding the Lord. Um, it, it sounds weird, the concept, at least it always has to me, that you can find God. Well, I didn't know God was lost. Right? I mean, that's kind of a lot of what people say. Um, and it's because, I think, in our American culture, we brought God down to a human perspective in a human place and taught that anyone can know God at any time if they choose to do it. I mean, that's, that's what our modern-day theology teaches us. But the Bible reveals that God is exalted, that he, he dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, he does not cheapen himself by, by revealing himself to just anyone who flippantly decides, oh, you know what, maybe I'd like to know God. That's not how it works. He reveals himself to those John 14, 21, who obey him. 
and his word. Um, and you have to diligent, diligently seek him. You have to beat that path to him and you will find him. Kind of like a, a rare treasure it's related to. So we need to be understanding that that reward of finding the Lord and his peace and everything else that goes along with it is, is very much that. It's a reward. Fourthly, God's strong support means rejoicing. Look at verse 15. It says there, in all Ju- Ju- Judah rejoice over the oath. Okay, they made this intre- incredible oath to God that, hey, we're going to seek you. We're going to keep our hearts and minds focused on you. Um, it doesn't mean that they walked around with a phony smile like we do on Sundays at church, you know. How was your week? Oh, it was, it was wonderful, you know, and inside you're just ticked off and you can't even see straight, right? But, you know, we do that all the time. But they were legitimately rejoicing here. Um, and when you stop and think about it, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, if somebody came in here and said, you know what, your name was drawn and you just won $10 million. You didn't even know you entered the, the, the contest, right? But you, here, here's the check for 10. You, oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, no, you would be like, what? Are you kidding me? What, are you serious? You know, a million dollars for everybody, you know? No, but I'm just saying that, that would be, you know, overwhelming, right? And yet, how many Sundays do we come in every Sunday? Yeah, okay, you know, rejoice in the Lord. It's so sad. You know, and I include myself in that. Sometimes I'm at the piano going, okay, let's just get through the song. You know, I mean, in all honesty. And yet that probably tremendously grieves the heart of God. Thinking, do you understand what I did for you? Do you understand what I saved you from? And and the the fact that you just have a building to meet in and with other people that would even meet with you in, (laughs) in corporate worship. I mean, we have to rejoice in these things. Uh... Now, there are times when we'll be sorrowful, but beneath our sorrow, beneath our pain, there's that undercurrent of joy, right? Even, even in the midst of death, we can have joy because we know what the end is. Nothing can separate God's elect from his love, Romans 8.39. But then there's the scary part of Asa's, Asa's story here. Um, it's possible for those who have sought the Lord with all their heart, really, that's what he did, and enjoyed his support. They saw success in their lives because of what they were doing with the Lord. Um, To let that fire, to let that passion, to let that desire for the Lord burn out or die out uh, and actually forsake the Lord. That's that's the hard part of of this study, and and that's what we see there in chapter 16. Um, If we forsake the Lord, we come under his discipline. It, it's so important to, to really understand that. Here you have Asa who got ex- attacked by this, this Baasha, Baasha, a king who fortified uh, Ramah, the, the, the town north of Jerusalem. And what did Asa do? Rather than rely on the Lord, he panicked. He literally panicked. This guy who had this incredible army, because it was peaceful times up to this, at his disposal, he panics. He goes into the temple, and he, he takes everything that there is in there, all the gold, all the silver, out of the, uh, what they gave to the Lord. He takes it back, and then he bribes Ben-Hadad, king of Assyria, to attack Baasha, nor- the northern cities. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. 
Why would you do that when you had your own army and you, and you, could, you could trust the Lord to use the army just like he did before? And actually, his plan worked. I mean, Asa's plan worked. He was able to dismantle the Baasha's fortification at Ramah. And all this Asa, unfortunately, even though the plan worked, he still forsook the Lord. He didn't do it God's way. He didn't do what he had done previously. And so all of a sudden, what happens? He begins to incur the discipline of God in his life. And so when you think of this forsaking the Lord, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it means trusting in our own schemes rather than the Lord. (laughs) Trusting in our own schemes. In other words, you're presented with a problem in life, and what do you do? You sit down and you try to figure it out on your own. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be, hey, you got a test coming up in math class, or you got this, or you got that, or you got somebody that doesn't like you at school or college, or whatever. Or you got relationship issues. Find out, what do we do? We sit down and try to crunch the numbers. We try to make sure that, well, we, we'll work this out. We'll work this. Just take it to the Lord. This is, this is what is important for us to understand. Because by doing that, you're trusting God. You're saying, hey, Lord, you know, this is what it is. So we don't want to trust in our own schemes. And so Asa here devised this scheme to, to bribe Ben-Hadad. And uh, apparently his father has set the precedent in, in uh, chapter 16, verse 3. He, he apparently did the same thing. So he made the same mistake later when he trusted the physicians and not the Lord for his own sickness. He didn't go to the Lord. He went to the, the physicians and said, oh, you know, I don't need God in this. I'm, I, I, I'm a king. I got physicians at my beck and call. They'll, they'll help me out here. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to doctors. That's not the principle here. But our trust needs to be where? In the Lord. In the Lord. Not in our doctors. Um, you, you have to wonder, at least I do, why Asa trusted the Lord against such a huge army, right? They had like a million people come against him, the army of Zerah, back in chapter 14, verses 9 to 11. He trusted the Lord then, but he failed when it came to this lesser army. I mean, you think that, you know, you, it would just come to your memory that, yeah, God helped me out there. I'm sure he'll help me out here. And you would take it to the Lord, but he doesn't do that. We don't know why he didn't, other than, I think, his inner passion for the Lord, because of all the success that he had, maybe he grew a little, you know, prideful. Maybe he felt like, ah, I don't need this. We can handle this, whatever. I'll figure out a way to do this. I don't even have to use my own army. I'll just, I'll let this other guy do the dirty work for me. Um, we don't know. But often it's the smaller crises in life that trip us up. It's not the big ones. Because the big ones are, are evident that we can't work out, right? So we take it right to the Lord. But it's the small ones when they start to compound and we begin to see some success on our own, like he did, then we, think, we, we, we begin to think, you know what? Uh, I don't want to bother God with this. We don't want to do this. Um, Jeremiah 17.5 says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Those are strong words. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. You know, if our trust is in anything other than the Lord, including our own schemes, it's, it's not favorable to God. So that's the first thing forsaking the Lord is when you begin to find yourself comfortable with your own, working out your own problems with your own uh, 
plans and stuff like that rather than taking it to the Lord. Secondly, using what works without regard to whether it is biblical. You see this all over the place today. You know, um, his unholy alliance with Ben-Hadad, it worked. It worked like a charm. He didn't lose any of his soldiers. You know, that guy went and took his, his gold and said, sure, I'll take care of the problem. The only problem was it wasn't a biblical plan. That's not what God instructed them to do. And, you know, it was a very, you could say, a very pragmatic answer. All right? And we as Americans are very pragmatic. You know, we, we think that, hey, you know what? If, if psychology helps a person with this problem, what's wrong with that? Or if, you know, look at, look at some of these, you know, user-friendly churches and, you know, well, their pews are full. You know, so it works. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense to have a 10-minute sermon or whatever if, if it works. I always answer people this way. If following Satan <laughs> would help you with your problems, would you do it? If it worked. If it would actually help you with your problems to follow Satan, would you do it? Most people would say, no, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. Why not? It works. You know, that's, that's the pragmatic answer to some things. Um, we would say, no, that's not biblical. We wouldn't do that as Christians. We wouldn't even entertain the thought of taking any of our issues to Satan, expecting him to, you know, help us with the problems, even if he does. We wouldn't do it. Why? Because that's not what the Lord wants. And yet, in other areas of life, we're willing to compromise that. And then thirdly here, forsaking the Lord means rejecting God's means of correction. And you see that in chapter 16, verses 7 to 10. What did Asa do when, when he got the news um, that he messed up, basically? He got mad. He got mad at the, the guy bringing the message, right? Um, and also some of the people who probably supported the prophet. There was a lot of people who wanted to do the right thing here, and they probably thought, well, you know, King Asa's been listening to the prophet before. Why wouldn't he listen to him this time? See, but a person who is forsaking the Lord will get angry at somebody who speaks the truth to them and calls on, calls on them to repent. That's, that's usually what happens. You know, that's why it's so hard for us as believers to go to a brother or sister in Christ when we know they're in sin, when something's going on in your life and we know it. A lot of times we don't want to look at it. We just kind of avoid it, right? But what does the Bible tell us to do? Not go to the pastor and say, you know, brother so-and-so, he's doing this. Well, go tell him. You know, you're part of the body of Christ too. It's not my, you know, I'm not the, the police. You know, I don't need to do that. You know, the body of Christ is, we're, we're called to, to, to confront each other. In, in times like that. But a lot of times we don't like to do that because we know when we go and we tell that person, you know what, we had this conversation yesterday and it just seemed a little bordering on the line of gossipy. I don't want to go there again with you, so let's, let's, let's pray about that and, and change our behavior in that area. Okay? That could be very offensive to somebody. Very offensive. And they could write you off. And so we don't do it. But that's what God calls us to do. And so we need, to, we need to realize that it's, it's part of our, our job. It involves sometimes verbal correction, verbal correction. Um, not all of, not all of uh, um, 
you know, it's not always easy to do that, but that's what God calls us to do. Well, the second thing here, B, when we forsake the Lord, we come under his discipline. Uh, God's discipline flows from his love, from his holiness, not his meanness. He's not up there to ruin the party. He gives us guidelines. He gives us biblical principles so we can live a life that's filled with his peace and, and, and meant to uh, honor him in every way. And when we break out and we do things our own way, a lot of times we come under his discipline because it's a form of forsaking the Lord. Uh, and he's going to take whatever measures are necessary to correct us. And sometimes we don't understand this. You know, we think that, well, we can sin, and as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. No, God, God, it hurts God. God sees it, <laughs> okay? And we need to make sure that we understand that. Um, so God's discipline involves verbal correction. We saw that in verses 7 to 9. And um, you recall that God also brought verbal warning after his victory, just to kind of let him know in verses 1 to 7 there, that, hey, you know what, uh, just keep doing this and, you know, you'll be okay. But if you don't, this is not going to work out good. Uh, all of God's discipline is, is, not all of God's discipline is for sin. Sometimes God disciplines us. He gives us a gracious warning when we haven't done anything wrong. And, uh, but maybe he sees the danger approaching, okay? And if we need his verbal correction, um, he doesn't, sometimes when we heed that, he doesn't have to actually carry out the actual discipline. And so that's an important thing, but it does involve a verbal correction here. But God's discipline sometimes involves problems to cause us to turn to him. And you can see that in verse 9 of chapter 16, when all of a sudden what happens? They had all these years of peace, and now all of a sudden they're having wars, right? Everybody's after them. They're having all these wars. And sometimes God has to hit us with a two-by-four to get our attention because we're such a thick-headed people. Uh, it doesn't mean that every problem we face can be tracked back to disobedience or something like that. But a lot of times God will send us problems and trials in life to make us more like Christ, all right? And he also uses problems to turn us from sin. And then thirdly, God's discipline sometimes involves illness. And you've got to be careful with this. Because, you know, just because somebody gets sick doesn't mean they're in sin. Okay. But here in the story, what happened to King Asa? Um, most theologians think that he got a, a bad case of gout. I guess some kind of infection in the feet. Um, Charles Spurgeon actually had this. And he talked about it when he taught on, on King Asa. Um, and he actually eventually died of gout, Spurgeon, in, in, at the age of 57. And so um, in his sermon on Asa, he attests to how painful that illness is. But sometimes God uses illness to humble us, to bring us to repentance or whatever it is. And a lot of times when we get sick physically, that should be the first thing we're doing. We're examining our heart. Hey, you know, is there something wrong here that maybe I'm not seeing it? Maybe God's allowing this sickness to come into my life because maybe he's trying to get my attention, all right? And we don't want to ever attribute illness just to somebody's sin, but sometimes that's the case. Also, God's discipline sometimes involves death, all right? We don't like to think of this, but it does. Um, we don't know whether or not Asa's life would have been extended if he had repented. Um, it may have been. We don't know. But he didn't repent. He, he, he uh, you know, continued to go in sin and refuse God's means of correction. He didn't listen to God's prophet that God graciously sent him. And God will often take, him, take someone like that in death. He's saved. He still goes to heaven. 
but his life on earth is cut short. Um, in the New Testament, there's examples of, of people like that as well. And so you just have to stop it and you have to ask yourself, wow, you know what, sometimes God is very severe in his treatment of us in order to vindicate his holiness and try to impress on us how serious it is that we live for him each and every day. Um, but we, we need to not grow so confident in our Christian faith that we think, oh, I'm above all that. Um, I'm reminded of, of George Mueller. He used to pray, uh, the older he got, wonderful missionary guy, the older he got, he would pray this prayer. He says, Lord, don't let me become a wicked old man. And if you know anything about George Mueller, I mean, that's not something that you would pop into your brain when you mention George Mueller. I mean, he was a tremendous man of faith, right? Um, and you think, why would he pray something like that? There's not even a chance that that would ever happen to somebody so spiritual. Well, yeah, there is. There is always that chance. And um, we have to think, you know, except by the grace of God, there go I. And Mueller walked with God for many years in a humble, prayerful manner, as, as few others ever have. He was an example of that. But he knew that even after all those years, potentially his fire, his passion for God, um, could die out if he didn't tend it, if he didn't continue to feed it. And um, he would be left with a pile of ashes. And I guess the question I'd like to leave with you tonight is, are you tending your inner fire are you, are you doing what it takes to make sure that you're walking with the Lord, that you're growing in the Lord, that you're understanding his word more, that you're obeying it more? Because untended fires soon die out and become just a pile of ashes. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, just ask yourself, are you continuing, are you persistently continuing to seek the Lord each and every day with things? Or have you grown kind of cold in that area? You know, if we seek the Lord, he will strongly support us. But if we forsake him, we will come under his discipline. Good message for all of us. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for King Asa and his example of trying to do the right thing. And yet also the example of potentially any one of us forsaking the Lord. Just because we're walking with you now doesn't mean we'll be walking passionately with you tomorrow. Um, our hearts could grow cold and we could feel your hand of discipline in our lives at times. And Lord, we pray that we'd be sensitive to that, that we wouldn't grow um, prideful in our spiritual growth, but we would grow more needy and, and more humble as we grow closer to you, knowing that there's, there's so much more that you need to work out in our own lives and um, in ministries and, and everything. Father, we pray that you would just uh, bless each one of us as we go our way tonight and take us safely to our places. And also, Lord, just uh, bless our conversation, our fellowship now. And Lord, we thank you for the example of, of King Asa. And we just pray that you would uh, apply these truths to our hearts and our minds. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.